So we are in the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, chapter 4. We might switch back to chapter 3 a little bit, what we talked about last week. Um, and so last week we talked about a lot. If you guys were here, in chapter 3 of Romans, we talked about um, grace is given through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by works, so nobody could boast. Like, you can't earn your salvation, and doing good works doesn't make you more acceptable to God. But in last week's passage, there was so much to cover, and we try, I felt like I was trying to preach everything I learned in Bible college in like 20 minutes, and I left feeling like, wow, that was kind of like a meat sandwich, if, you know, Meat, you know, like meatiness of the God's word. Um, yeah. So like the theology, there was so much to cover. So we're going to make a little bit of a bridge to last week. Because this week in chapter 4, as we said, we're going to be reading every verse in Romans. So we're not going to skip over anything. But last week, Paul talked about grace through faith alone. Faith in Jesus, not by works. Okay? And then this week goes to chapter 4. And he basically uses Abraham as a example of this. So he doesn't necessarily introduce a new theological concept. He just said, if you don't believe me, look at Abraham. And Abraham wasn't justified by the things he did, but he was justified by his faith as well. So it's this whole righteousness by faith isn't new. And so Paul talks about this. So I'm going to read all 1 through 12 um, to start us off. And then we'll dig into it a little bit and unpack it. So verse 1 in chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Okay? What was gained according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about or brag about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and this is a quote from Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. In verse 7 and 8 are a psalm. And it said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That's you guys, if you believe in Jesus. He said, blessed are you, are you people whose lawless deeds are forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. And those whose sins are covered. Verse 8, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. He's saying, you are blessed those who God doesn't count your sin. And goes into that because it's through faith. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Like for the Jewish person or the non-Jewish person, is it for one or the other? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So it wasn't his works that saved him, it was his faith. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, 
but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Okay, that was our whole passage, and I want to break this down a little bit for us, but let's pray first. God, I, I pray that this sermon isn't done out of my flesh, God, but out of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking a lot about this flesh concept as well and what that means. So as we look into your word, God, as we hear your word, help us be changed by it. Help it um, be a mirror to us that we look at it and we, we see ourselves reflected in it and how we could live in freedom, how we can come to you in repentance if we need to do that, and how we could just live a life in a way more faith-filled than the one we're living. Lord, we know that some of us here don't feel good enough. Um, some of us here feel too good and maybe we need a reality check. <laughs> Lord, wherever we are on the spectrum, God, use this text to change us and make us new. In Christ's name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, so salvation is by faith alone, not by the law. Um, he, he defends this point. So I, it's worth talking because he talks so much about Abraham. I'm assuming that some of you have never heard of Abraham. Okay, you don't know who Abraham is, why he's talking about it. To the Jewish person, Abraham was like the man, all right? He was the father of an entire nation of Jewish folks, the Israelite people. He was Abraham, all right? Abraham and his wife Sarah had no children, which was a huge shame back then to not have any children. And they were like outcasts, sad. And at the age of like 90-something, God said, your wife is going to get pregnant. He's like, oh, really? And he said, yes, by you. Um, oh, really? Well, you know the story. They tried and tried. She wasn't getting pregnant. He, he went with Hagar, the maidservant. She got pregnant. And God's like, that's not the child of promise that I wanted for you. Sarah's still going to get pregnant. And at the age of 100, Abraham and Sarah had a baby. His name was what? Isaac, all right? His name was what? All right, I'm doing some Bible teaching today, all right? Abraham, here it goes. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his 12 sons in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, okay? Okay, I got it. Abraham had Isaac, right? And God gave this very famous biblical um, story that happened that we all know, but he gave his command to Abraham to sacrifice your only son. You waited all these years, and scholars think Isaac might have been like 10 to 12 years old, maybe older, and he said, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son to me on the altar. Like, light the fire, sacrifice him. And Abraham struggled with this. He wept over this, but he trusted God. You remember the story, right? They went to the top of the mountain. His son said, hey, I see the fire, I see the sticks, I see the matches, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, you're the sacrifice, son. So he tied him up and put him on the altar. Um, and as he's about to sacrifice his son, God said, stop, right? Remember? He said, stop, don't sacrifice your son. That right there, that story is also a type of Christ because God is saying, I'm not going to let you sacrifice your one and only son, but I want you to know that I'm going to sacrifice my one and only son for you, and it'll come much later. But it was a type of what Jesus did for us. But Abraham trusted God, right? 
He had faith in God because he was really going to do it. And if we look at Genesis 15, 6, it, it says this, And he, Abraham, believed the Lord. Genesis 15, 6, I think is up there. I think it's one of the first ones, yeah. Uh, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as what? Yeah. So this concept that God gives you righteousness, not by anything you do, but because of your faith, isn't new. It's an Old Testament concept, and that's what he's talking about with Abraham. Okay? So Abraham's faith led him to action. We talked about that last week with the story of Charles in the wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. You know, faith should lead you to action. James talked about that when we studied the book of James, right? James said, faith without works is what? Yeah. So if you see somebody, at, like, if you see somebody, I, I mean, you're not supposed to judge. But if you happen to see somebody and they say they have faith, but their action, there's no actions but back it up whatsoever, you can have that loving conversation where you say you have faith, but really there's no actions, there's no evidence of that. So how, you know, do you really have faith? And James wanted you to realize Maybe your faith is counterfeit, and that's what we talked about months ago in the book of James. So faith should lead us to action. Um, where there is faith in Jesus, there's a life of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, and you'll follow me, okay? That's what Jesus said. So, but I want to go back a little bit to verse 1 of chapter 4, and 4 verse 1 says this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Meaning, what accomplishment did Abraham do in the flesh? Was it because of the flesh? Was it because of God? You know, was it him, something he did on his own? So this morning I have four curious questions because I'm a curious guy, and I know some of you are very curious. But I have four curious questions. And I, the, part of this, these questions came out of last week because it was so deep. I'm like, I thought about these things when I was a new Christian, and I know some of you guys are thinking about them too, so I want to bring them up. But the first curious question is this, what is the flesh? What is the flesh? And learning this gave me a new, better understanding too of, of all this. And I knew it, but it's good to talk about it. This word flesh appears so much in the Bible. And as we, can, as we study the book of Romans, flesh comes up over and over again. Now we know flesh is like, that, that red stuff, the muscles, and, and it's on your bones, right? Like a flesh wound is just like, it's flesh. It's meaty substance to your bones. But that's not what it's talking about here. Um, flesh is your human nature in a very simple form, right? Flesh is your human nature. It's your fallen nature. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, their sin brought a curse to the flesh. So everybody born now has a fallen sin nature that we call the flesh, your, your, your flesh is prone to sin, and so you're always going to be prone to sin if you have this flesh on you. Impulsive, like very impulsive, and, you know, you, you just do it. You act on it. Filled with animalistic cravings, okay? This may sound, like, weird, and maybe, like, most of you, I could see this resonating well and makes sense. Some of you are like, I've never had a sinful craving. Okay, I, I don't know. Maybe that's you. But we all have the flesh. And our flesh is the part that wrestles with our spirit. And all those things, prone to sin, impulsive. Like we want to act on something. We want to act on it. Like we need gratification right now. You know, what they, you know what I mean? Like I need it now and I'm not going to wait. That's kind of the flesh side of us acting out. 
But it's also this human nature, and we talk about it. Meaning, if Nancy gets up here and she leads you in worship and it's all from the flesh, she could do an amazing job, but if she's not filled with the Spirit, it's going to be hollow. Do you know what I mean? If I get up here, have you ever seen this? A pastor is an awesome communicator, amazing communicator. His whole sermon is perfectly laid out. The points are good. They're funny, all this stuff. But you walk away feeling it was so hollow because it wasn't from a place of the Holy Spirit. It was he did it from the flesh. Because some people don't need to be a Christian to be very excellent communicators, right? You don't need to be a Christian. But, you, but from your flesh, I could woo you and do funny stuff and just think about how to make this creative. And it's going to be very fleshly where you're going to walk away feeling like that was really hollow. Everything he said was really hollow. But if I'm on my knees all week praying and asking God to use me and pray for you guys and pray for this message, and like I just feel like it's from a place of the Holy Spirit, so it's much more deeper for all of us. So the flesh, fallen, prone to sin, impulsive, or just acting in our human nature or our own abilities. The flesh is a wild and nasty thing, okay? And it's with you until you die. This flesh nature, okay? Look at Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It talks about the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. They're clearly seen. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and everything else that's like these. You guys have a good picture, right, of what the flesh is? People acting out in the flesh? Um, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning if you live in the flesh, you know, that's what you'll experience. Um, jump ahead to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, Jesus says this, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. I don't want you to enter temptation. But Jesus says this, the spirit is willing, like your spirit's willing, but your flesh is what? Like your flesh is weak. And I think about this when I plan this because so many people, like after you become a Christian and, you, and you're doing what you think a good Christian should do and you feel like, I have thoughts in my mind that pop in there that I don't feel like are very Christian. Am I weird? Am I just like not saved? Am I just like, is there something wrong with me? Like anybody ever feel that way before? Like, is there something wrong with me? Like, or not just thoughts pop in your head, but man, I sinned again. I sinned, and I thought I was a new creation, but I sinned. What's wrong with me? Like, why am I doing this? It's the flesh. It's the flesh that we have within us, and we're going to have it till the day we die. There's going to be this tension between sin. Um, our bodies are, are always going to be there. One hope we have is that one day our bodies are going to be redeemed, okay? Our bodies are going to re be redeemed, and we're going to get new bodies. We're going to get new bodies, and the, the sinful flesh won't be a part of that. Um, Romans 8.23, which I'm sure we'll read later on in the year, but it says this. And not only creation will be redeemed, but also ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Like we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Like where we don't have to struggle with sin. We look forward to the day, some of us men, we look forward to the day 
where we don't struggle with pornography. Like, it's not even an issue. I'm, I'm sorry, men or women. Like, uh, like, like there's going to be a day where we don't struggle with pornography. It's not going to be something we desire. That's a fleshly desire. There's going to be a day that we don't struggle with jealousy. We don't struggle with anxiety. That we don't struggle with sin in general. Like, that day is coming, amen? And I think it's worth hoping because there's going to be this tension of sin and redemption our whole lives. Repentance and sin, repentance and sin. There's going to be this struggle our whole lives. And we're going to feel like miserable failures at time. But I say that because some people like fall into sin and they're like, I must not be saved. And then they leave the church. Or they're just struggling all the time. And they're just like, something's wrong with me. I can't do this anymore. Or we as a church see somebody struggling and then we shoot them when they're down. You know what I mean? Like, you struggled. You must not be a good enough Christian. Instead of helping a brother or sister, we just kind of cast them out of the church. We do that sometimes. People say, the church is the only, ar- the Lord's army is the only army that shoots their wounded. We do that sometimes to each other, don't we? Like, oh, you're struggling? Ugh. You can't be here anymore. You can't do this anymore. I don't want you around my kids. You know what I mean? Like, people struggle, and we ostracize them in different ways instead of helping them and knowing that we have a sin nature. So back um, to verse 1. What was gained by the flesh, meaning what did Abraham accomplish from his human nature? Nothing. He trusted God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So apart from Jesus and your faith in him, nothing can please God. Just your faith. So people who haven't given their lives to God, all their works are like filthy rags. People who haven't put their faith in God, everything they do to try to please him, he hates. You know what I mean? Like, you can't please God by doing anything but putting your faith in him. Right? Now, after you put your faith in him, sure, we please God all the time by our good works. There's a difference there. But we can't win God's approval by doing good works. God's like, that's filthiness. I don't, I don't want to see that. Um, so it's your faith that makes you righteous, not works. So that's today. To make a bridge from what he said last week to this week, I want to make a bridge to that. Um, so let's go look at last week in chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. It'll be up on the screens. We talked about this last week. It says this. The righteousness of God through faith in what? All right, good. So making sure you're reading it's up there. Faith in Jesus Christ for all who what? For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, There's a ton there that I could talk about, but salvation is for all. It's for everybody. Um, that's the overall theme. We are saved by faith alone, faith in Jesus. That's the theme of the whole Bible. We need to know that. It, it, if you have a friend that's struggling and you want to tell them about Jesus and you want to evangelize to them, many people are so like scared about doing that and sharing our faith because we don't feel adequate. You are totally adequate. And part of my goal is to equip you more this year to share your faith with people and invite them to church and be able to talk about your faith. But what we know about God is what we're going to tell others about God, right? What we know about God, what we believe about God, is what we tell them. And the main theme is you have to put your faith in him first. Nothing else matters, okay? And I'll get to that in a second. Um, It's a gift. You didn't earn it. It's free. You don't deserve it. Actually, instead of the grace of God, the Bible says that we deserve punishment, right? That's That's why grace is so amazing. We deserve punishment, and God takes away our punishment, puts it on Jesus, and gives us righteousness so we can be right with God. Amen? That's like the good news that we celebrate. We deserved punishment, we deserved hell, and God gave us, you know, sent Jesus to give us eternal life and be called children of God. 
Um, Jesus made you his son, or God made you his son. Same thing. And the way we receive it is by faith. So curious question number two. I say all that, and because I think we have um, Easter coming up, we're going to be talking about how to get saved. We're going to be talking about salvation a lot. And I, I have this curious question based on everything we learned about how to come to Christ. And curious question number two is this. What does it mean to come as you are? And do you believe that you can come as you are? Right? So that could be a fancy thing we say as Jericho Road Church. And I believe that we do have this DNA kind of built in where you literally can come as you are, right? Some of y'all are in t-shirts. Some of y'all are in hats. Some of y'all are in nice clothes. Some of y'all are in your pajamas. And it's all good. Um, we're not going to judge you for that. I hope none of you judge in your hearts about that. But that's what I hear from people. It's like, I feel comfortable here. You know what I mean? Come in my jammies or come in a suit. It's all good. And we're not going to judge you for it, all right? Um, just wash your hands because of the coronavirus. You know what I mean? <laughs> I set the hand sanitizer station right in front of the door. And Sharon moved it because she said it was a fire hazard. <laughs> I said... I'm more concerned about a virus spreading than the fire spreading, all right? <sighs> There's an exit right there, guys. Um, anyway, that's all I'll say about the coronavirus. Just wash your hands and pray, all right? <laughs> uh, okay, does it mean to come as you are? Um, this Easter, we are making thousands of little cards for you to take. And we want you to invite your friends and family and coworkers, because there's a lot of people who might not be going to church Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is one of the only days where people are like, sure, I'll go to church. Whatever, it's Easter. I went when I was a kid. So we're going to give you cards to invite people to our church. So we're going to have our service times on there, 9, 10, 30. And uh, yeah, 9, 10, 30. And our address and all that good stuff. And you can invite people and you can say, come as you are. Dress up for Easter or dress down. We don't really care. But what does it mean to come to Jesus as you are? What does it mean to come to Jesus as you are? That's an important question that I don't know if a lot of us believe what that means. Come to Jesus as you are. Um, question, have you ever heard this said? I need to clean myself up in order to come to Jesus. I need to get my life in order before I go to church. Because I promise you, if you invite somebody to church, they're going to say, Janine, I'd love to go to your church but I need to get a lot of things in my life in order first. What they're saying is, they're not necessarily saying your church. They're saying, before I present myself to God, I need to clean up my crap. Right? That is wrong. Like, I hope if you hear that, you're like, no! Bring your crap to Jesus. He's the crap cleaner. <laughs> right? Bring your crap to Jesus. He'll clean you. Like, you can't clean yourself. And I think we feel like we got to, like, clean ourselves off before we come to Jesus. And that is not true. We can come to Jesus stained, rotten with sin, whatever it is, his blood can handle it. Amen? There's no sin that his blood can't wash away. There's no sin that he can't take care of. And so for two reasons, I tell you, don't tell, never tell anybody they have to clean themselves up, but try to correct them. Number one, it's pretty useless to try to clean yourself up first, right? That's like, I'm going, let's say I'm going to the doctor to have cancer removed from my body. I have this big surgery, and I'm going to the doctor to have the cancer removed, and I told the doctor, 
I took my Flintstone vitamins and I ate an apple this morning, so I kind of helped you a little bit. Thank you. You know what I mean? You're welcome. The doctor's going to be like, that did nothing. That did nothing. And it's like, you can, if you have a cancer appointment where the doctor's going to remove the cancer, you can do your hair, you can wear a tux, you can take your Flintstone vitamins, you can eat a banana that morning, you can exercise. None of that matters. You can come as you are because they're the work that needs to be done in you is much greater than you can accomplish yourself. Amen? And that work can only be done by Jesus Christ. So he's saying, come as you are. Come as you are to me. People who think, I need to clean up my life before I come to Jesus, no. That's saying that you're Jesus. He can clean you up. And that's important to say. Mm-hmm. True. So I can invite my friend to church who's gay. Right? Sure. Of course. On Easter Sunday, you see a couple people holding hands in here. Don't freak out. Because we say, come as you are. The gospel's open to everybody, amen? And so if somebody wants to invite their, uh, their like, female coworkers who are married, like, we, that shouldn't bother us because it's come as you are. And come as you are, and that's, that's okay. Because Jesus is the one who does the work in people's lives, not us. Um, can I invite my friend who parties every night and maybe they'll come here hungover? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give them extra strong coffee that morning. You know what I mean? I'll have a little Tylenol set out that you can give them and help them. Water, Gatorade, whatever helps a hangover. Um, we want people to come to Jesus in any situation. And we want people to hear the gospel being preached. And I promise you, on Easter Sunday, we will give the gospel message. We will share the gospel, give an opportunity to respond. And then you can follow up with your friend afterwards and say, what did you think about pastor's message? Did you, did you hear it? Did you accept the gospel? How can I talk to you through that, right? And so it's a very awesome Sunday to do that. Um, our job isn't to make somebody good. Our got, job isn't to tell somebody to clean up all their sin before they come to Jesus. Our job is to bring people to Jesus and let him transform them. Amen? Once people are saved and we're in the family of God, I can call out sin if I see it, you know? That's what we're supposed to do. Like, not out of anger or I'm mad at you, but hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. It's going to destroy your life. And that's okay. But come as you are. And number two, it's, number one, it's useless. Number two, it prevents people from ever coming to Jesus. I don't want to come to Jesus because I'm too messy. No, just come. God wants them to repent of their sins and come to him, okay? Now, I use that word repent because it ties into my curious question number three. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent? I think I, uh, you might ask this question. When you hear a pastor say, repent, the first thing you think of is, wow, I don't know if I feel comfortable here anymore. That was kind of harsh. Um, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, you don't understand what it means to repent. Now, if I'm angrily saying, repent, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean? Did you know repent was the first thing that John the Baptist taught when he started teaching people? Do you know repent is the first teaching Jesus ever taught? He said, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. Um, that was the first thing. So the word repent should be in our vocabulary, right? Repent. So what does repentance mean? If you're taking notes, repentance is coming back to God. Coming back to God. Uh, we are all, like, I can go in a long, long way. Some of, a lot of people in West Michigan grew up in the church. They maybe said the sinner's prayer in, you know, Mrs. Smith's Sunday school class. 
and maybe they went to church until they were like 15 and they stopped going. And repenting is coming back to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm back. I'm back, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do with my life? I'm just coming back to you. That's what repentance means. I've been going the, my own way for too long. Now I'm going to go God's way. I've been doing my own thing. I'm going to do God's thing. I've been trying to do life in the flesh. We just learned about that. I've been trying to do life in the flesh, like getting better, like, and it's just not working. My flesh is like failing me every time. I need to go God's way. That's what repentance means, is coming back to God. Real quick, look at Luke chapter 15. This is the story of the prodigal son, and I parsed it out into two separate verses, but it's the same story. Verse 13, the prodigal son is off partying and getting hammered every night. And it says, Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a faraway country. And there he squandered his property and all his money in reckless living. And he, like, partied hard body for, like, five years and wasted all his money that his dad gave him. And he's eating out of the pig trough. You, you know, totally bankrupt. In verse 18, a couple of verses later, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That is repentance. That's it. I'm going to come back to the father and say, I screwed up. Now please forgive me. Um, and so the act is coming back. The misconception is you need to repent before coming back to God. That's not true. By coming to God, you are repenting, right? By coming to God and saying, God, I've been doing my own way too long. It's not working. I need you. I need you. That is repentance, and that's good, and we need to do that. And then we make a commitment to following him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's after the fact. Last curious question, number four. So I'm a new creation. Why do I still sin? Why do I still sin? Again, like this question was nagging me all last week and when I preached last Sunday because I, I understand this question. I know some of you may not, um, and it's, it's a hard one, and I wrestle with this for a long time, is, hey, when you're saved and you put your faith in Jesus, you are declared righteous. You're no longer a sinner. You're righteous, and the Bible says you're a new creation. That's good, right? But I still sin. Like, why do I do that? Why do I do that? It's a tough question. Um, and because of that, too many Christians live a defeated life. I'm defeated. Because if Satan gets you to sin, right, you don't lose your salvation, but you lose, like, your confidence in your faith, right? Like, I've heard so many people be like, hey, you should be a missional community leader. And they're like, oh, I'm not ready. Uh, I got too much crap going on in my life. What they're saying is, is my life is too sinful and I haven't got my crap in order, my sin in order. And it's like, okay, they're saying that. Hey, you should serve. I'm not ready to serve and I'm just too defeated. I can't share my faith. I'm too defeated. And so what Satan has done is essentially neutered the church by, you know, getting them to dwell in their sin and live in their sin, right? I can't do anything. I'm just going to go to church until I get my stuff figured out. And so this question is, I'm still a Christian. Why do I keep sinning? And they ask, am I the only one? So to answer that question, I go all the way back to like the first question is like, what is the flesh? We all have this sinful flesh that has very impulsive desires and it's going to make you sin once in a while. 
I mean, it's still going to be your choice, but the flesh and Satan are going to cause you to sin. It's going to cause you to screw up, and you're going to mess up. It's going to happen at some point, and it's with us like a bad habit waging war with us until our bodies are redeemed later on. Galatians 5.16 says this. Walk in the Spirit, talking to Christians, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, Christians, even Christians could walk in the flesh way too much. And he's saying, if you walk in the Spirit, it's going to drown out the flesh. Right? Walk in the Spirit, it's going to drown out the flesh. Um, so that's the remedy is walking in the Spirit. It's not like you're ever going to eliminate the flesh, but the flesh is going to be a lot more contained. The way I consider it is like, imagine you have two dogs in your life. You have one dog that's the flesh, and you have one dog that's the Spirit. You are always feeding the flesh dog. Guess what? He's going to be really strong and really powerful. And your spirit dog is going to be very weak because you're neglecting him. Is that a good, good analogy? The, the one skinny, one scrawny. For some Christians, their spirit is skinny and scrawny because they're not filling it with the things of God. And their flesh is really strong because they're filling it with sinful movies, sinful music, sinful relationships, sin. And it's like all these things are just filling their flesh. And so they're going to act on it, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I don't listen to music that just glorifies like sexual immorality, right? Like if I'm listening to that stuff all the time or greed or anything, it's going to like, you know, I'm not saying I never listen to secular music, but I don't listen to things that just gratify sin or glorify sin. I like look up movies before I watch them. If there's a movie that's going to have a ton of sex in it, I don't watch it. I'm not saying I'm better than you or anything, but I know my flesh will see that and it'll want that because it's impulsive, animalistic, and feeds that, you know, feeds on that stuff. So if I watch that crap, I'm going to want to act out on it in different ways, whether it's pornography or anything. You know what I mean? The same way. I don't surround myself by music that's all about materialistic things. Money, 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 money. Get rich, get rich, get rich. Go on lavish vacations and all this stuff because in my flesh, I'm not going to be happy with what God's given me. I'm going to want more, and the Bible calls that greed. Right? So I'm not going to sit and fill my mind with this stuff. and fill the, I'm going to walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. Jesus declared you good, right? So Jesus covered your sin. Is that your past sins? Yes? Is that your future sins? All your sins are covered, okay? Jesus said, I'm in heaven and I'm building a place for you. I'm building a room for you. And he promises that. So I have this hope in my mind that Jesus is there working on my room, right? He's there. He's building my house. He's setting it aside. And that's good. And so you're asking, hey, I screamed at my kids last night in a very sinful way. Jesus is still preparing a place for you. I, like, called my husband or my wife some really bad names last night out of a fit of anger. Jesus is still preparing a room for you, right? I looked at porn last night. On Saturday night, right before church, I feel horrible about it. Jesus is still preparing a place for you, right? You didn't lose that place in heaven. You didn't lose your righteous standing. I smoked crack last night, and it's an addiction I can't get over. I attempted suicide last night. I did all this stuff last night, and I'm telling you, if you've 
put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is still preparing a place for you. Amen? Well, pastor, you just let all these people off the hook, and now they're going to go look at porn. Jesus, or pastor, you just said it's, the stuff is okay. I didn't say the stuff is okay. I said you didn't lose your standing with God, right? And this should make you want to live righteousness, live a righteous life, because God has saved you. I didn't make any of that stuff okay. I assured you that you didn't lose your place. Jesus said that we are his children, right? Like we are God's children when we get saved. And I'm telling you, when my sin, or when my kids, call my kids sin, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Listen, I have three boys. When they screw up, they don't stop being my sons. And my son comes home from school and did something horrible. I'm not saying, well, you're not my son anymore until you do da 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 I'm saying, what'd you do, man? Come on, let's, let's, let's make this right. You might have to suffer the consequences. You might have to sit in third grade or jail or whatever you do at your school. But I love you, and you're my son, and we don't lose that sonship with God or daughtership. Amen? Yeah. And that should make us excited. Like, oh, like you should be like, oh, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that I can't lose my salvation, and God loves me unconditionally. And so what do you do when you sin? You come and repent. Meaning you go back to the Father and say, and I'm sorry, I screwed up. That's going to happen 70 times 7 times, I think, or more. Probably more. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Look to your neighbor and say, you are not condemned. All right, look to your neighbor and say, you are not condemned. If you don't have a neighbor, just say it to nobody next to you. All right? You are not condemned. That's what we need to look at here. Stop condemning yourself. You're going to mess up in this Christian life. And we, there's going to be this constant sin, repent, sin, repent. But your heart is repentance. When you say, screw it, I'm done with church, I'm done with God, and you go your own way, that's a different story. But when we screw up, come to God, screw up, come to God, there's going to be this tension in our whole lives. But the Bible says, walk in the Spirit. Make sure you're doing your quiet time. Have a prayer journal. Pray to God. Read God's Word. Study it. If you're not a big reader, listen to some sermons from godly pastors and get the Word that way. Like, whatever it is, get the Word, walk in the Spirit, and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I hope this sermon is a big, for some of you, and you feel like you're on this tightrope between heaven and hell, God doesn't want his children to feel like they're on that tightrope, right? Like teetering between heaven and hell, and he's like, ha ha, don't screw up. You know, it's like that's not God's personality. Um, the worship team can come up, and we're going to take communion here. And communion is an awesome time as a church. We can come and celebrate. It's also a reflective time. So during communion, we reflect on the cross, and what Jesus did. So the bread represents his body that's broken for us. And the cup represents his blood poured out for us. So when we take communion, we look at our lives and see, is there anything I need to repent of? Is there anything I need to repent of? We give you guys quiet space a little bit. I mean, the worship team's going to be singing a song, but you have time to sit and reflect on that and ask forgiveness for anything and repent what you need to. 
And then it's also just thanking God for what he did on the cross. So we're going to take that time now. Um, the, I only have two instructions. You have to be a Christian to take communion. I mean, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to take communion. Um, and the second is not as important, but I would like you to go on the sides and come up and then go down the center aisles, okay? So we can go up the sides and down the center to have a little bit of flow. There's some on each side. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let you guys come up and take communion. God, we thank you for this time. Um, God, I pray that we all have a sigh of relief in our spirits, that we are free. And God, from that freedom, we don't look at it as a license to sin, because we know in Romans later it says it's not a license to sin. It's a license to be free and enjoy that freedom. And so, God, I pray that this communion time is a time that we just look at our lives and reflect on our lives and sit back and just um, do an inventory of how we've strayed off the path. And we come back to the path and just say, forgive me, God, for everything I know, for everything I don't know. And we come back to you during this time. And we also use this time to just say thank you for what you did on Good Friday. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the shedding of your blood because that was required for my sin and for my screw-ups. So God, um, we pray for this time now. In Jesus' name, amen.